All right, Libby, it's time for another episode. We are kind of getting back into the groove of things. I hope you've had a, a, a wonderful Thanksgiving. It's really uh, very chill, very nice. How about yours? It was pretty good, but I, I am definitely ready to talk about a, a Thanksgiving film. So, I mean, let's just jump straight into it. It's planes, trains, and automobiles. All right. And welcome to another fantabulous episode of the OST Party. This is a movie soundtrack podcast where movie fans and music fans get together and have a rocking good time talking about all your favorite movie soundtracks. My name is Joseph Wade. I'll be your host for this evening. My uh, lovely and belligerent co-host is here as well, Libby Cubmore. What's shaking? <laughs> Not much. Uh, this is this is going to be a fun episode. This, yeah, I we had to switch gears. Uh, un- unforeseen circumstances and well here we are talking about gremlins which you know what i don't mind i really don't oh, mind at all it's the best holiday movie truly it's, is it's way way up there you know it's way better i mean my my i'll go ahead and get this out of the way right now my only complaint with gremlins is that it's not gremlins 2 <laughs> oh you need gremlins though to get to gremlins 2 you have to have both I, yeah i know and Watch it back to back for the full Wait. Gremlins experience. Okay, well, let me put it this way. My only complaint with Gremlins 2 is that Gremlins 2 is not a Christmas movie. Ah, oh, dang, so, you're right. So, you know, you know. And it doesn't have a soundtrack. It doesn't have a soundtrack. There's great music in Gremlins 2, but there's no soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Like, if they had just put out an album, we could be here talking about Faith No More in Gremlins 2, but. Uh, alas. A lack and alas. Um, well, we've, we've got a good soundtrack here, though. It's short. Um, really only three pop tracks, but it's a, all of them bangers, all of them bangers. And we got, Hey, we got a couple of Christmas songs we can, uh, dive into tonight as well. Yes, indeed. Absolutely. Uh, so before we get into that, we have to, uh, wrap up the poll from our last episode, which was on hot fuzz. I think everybody had a good time with that one. Yeah. I've been thinking about, uh, the Fratellis. Yeah, definitely. Since. Uh, so for that poll, we asked you what the best song on the Hot Fuzz soundtrack was. And with 41% of the vote, it was the Kinks Village Green Preservation Society. Yep, which I've been humming all uh-huh. week also. Oh, yeah. And then uh, second place with 32% was uh, Adam Ant's Goody Two Shoes. Yes. Third place with 18% was Cozy Powell's Dance with the Devil. And speaking of the Fratellis, at 9% was Baby Fratelli. I think that was me. <laughs> I, think I, was, I was the one who voted for that. It might have been you. Yeah. Well, that's okay. Honestly, all bangers. Like, that's a, that is a one of one of the rare soundtracks where it's just like there's really there's not a bad apple in the bunch. At some point, we'll uh, we'll wrap up that trilogy with the soundtrack to uh, At World's End. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait. No, I, I'm really excited. I get to talk about the House Martins. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but tonight we're ready to talk about Gremlins. It's the holiday season, and and what what film's more festive and uh, up our alley than Joe Dante's Gremlins? You love movies featuring puppets, not just movies featuring puppets, but like movies that are kind of bitter and cynical towards the entire idea of Christmas. Oh yes, that too, please. <laughs> Which is weird because neither of us is bitter and cynical towards the idea of Christmas. No, but I do host an entire podcast around that that very idea. So <laughs> I have to lean into it at least a little bit. <laughs> no, but, but I, I, I love, not only do I love Christmas, I love gremlins. It's just, it's one of those things that I've always, I've always kind of been like weirdly fascinated by. And as I've grown older, it's only gotten worse. <laughs> let's, let's put a pin in that because before we uh, can really talk about gremlins, let's talk about the, the billboarding school for gremlins. Uh, this is going to be a short one because um, there's not a whole lot of data, but I will say there was an actual soundtrack album released in 1984. 
Uh, the Gremlins soundtrack debuted on the Billboard charts July 7th, 1984 at number 185. The number one album that week was Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA. Okay. That's yeah. where we were living. It's exactly where we were. This is like this Born in the USA and Gremlins is they're all kind of part and parcel of the same sort of theme. Uh, mm-hmm. but the top soundtrack that week at number three was Footloose. Oh, yeah. We're still in Footloose territory. Still the summer of Footloose. Yeah. Uh, but Gremlins peaked at number 143 after seven weeks on the charts. Okay. And it fell, it fell off after seven weeks, rather, when the number one album in America was the soundtrack to Prince's Purple Rain. Okay. So this was also a, the a summer familiar. of Purple Rain. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so the Gremlins soundtrack, it's an odd little thing that is, I think, seven or eight tracks, three of which are pop tracks and four of which are orchestral score. And I... I don't think it made much of an impression. So I'm surprised it lasted seven weeks on the charts. I suspect that there's one track on there, which drove it. Which Oh, we'll get into. And uh, once you hear it, if you haven't heard it uh, before, it will be stuck in your head forever. We promise. Yeah, there's, there are uh, one or two legitimate earworms on this soundtrack and you wouldn't expect it because it's such a short album. But uh, the movie Gremlins opened June 8th, 1984, debuted at number two at the box office just behind Ghostbusters. We have discussed previously. So this is this is the summer of Purple Rain and Footloose and Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the top 10 that week is like peak, like perfect 1984 is like Ghostbusters, Gremlins, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Star Trek 3, Beat Street. The nat- the natural romancing the stone breaking streets of fire and yes. police academy. <laughs> yes, amazing, amazing. Yes, and uh, Gremlins would go on to make two hundred and thirteen million dollars on an eleven million budget. So like <laughs> a legit smash. Everyone yes. loved it, but also helped create the PG thirteen rating. Yes, along with uh, Temple of Doom, because uh, yes. I guess the moms and dads of America thought this was too gruesome for their children. Yes, I mean, it does look cuddly at first. At first, but then, you know, those gremlins turn into little monsters and yeah, start shit gets up weird. <laughs> and this is another um, movie that was released sort of at a weird time, mm-hmm. not for the season that it's set. Yeah, it, it came out in the middle of the summer, like, you know. Um, it's kind of a temple feature. Yeah, kind of like like one of the other 80s sort of classic Christmas movies, Die Hard, came out in the middle of summer. <laughs> and like that's just, I don't know what was in the air, but people, people really wanted to see Christmas movies in the summer. Um, well, and at least those were successful um, because, um, you know, something like Hocus Pocus in 1993 was released in July, even though it's a Halloween movie. That's true. That's true, and, yeah. You know, sort of became a cult classic. But uh, so in this case, though, the gambit paid off. Right. And I'm, I'm sure a big part of that had to do with, you know, Steven Spielberg putting his name all over this movie. Yep. Uh, yeah. Even though it was a, it was, you know, Joe Dante directed it. Chris Columbus wrote it. But Steven Spielberg saw the potential and said, I got to put my name on this thing. Yes. And, uh, it, you know, he made two or three of like the big crucial decisions. And we'll talk about a little bit of that later on. But um yeah, this is like really that peak period where Steven Spielberg was flexing that I can do and say anything muscle and it'll make money. Oh, yeah. I mean, he had, you know, two films opening that weekend. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and and I'm sure it stuck in his craw that Gremlins beat Indiana Jones. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't cry for Steven Spielberg. He did yeah, just nobody fine. weep for him. So, no. What was your first encounter with Gremlins? Oh, man. I don't really remember my first encounter with Gremlins. I think it must have been. I must have been a kid, but I really don't remember seeing it like in full and remembering it until like well into high school. You know, Um, but like, of course, I loved it immediately. And as soon as I got to college, I found other people who loved it immediately. And we would just kind of wander around campus making Gremlin noises because that was kind of that was the kind of people we were. Yeah, like oh, go into goblin mode, but I'm really more about gremlin mode. I mean, yeah, I'm going into gremlin mode. Yeah, like I'll 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 wreck up the place, but I'll make jokes about it. (laughs) (laughs) 
What about you? What was like your first exposure to gremlins? Oh, gremlins. And I had a mogwai that I bought at a friend's yard sale for or a gizmo right. plushie that squeaked when you shook it um, that I still have. And I, I bought that for, for $2 from a friend, I guess, at her garage sale. Um, but I wasn't actually allowed to see gremlins um, because as a sensitive child, my parents didn't think I could handle it. And probably rightfully uh. so. And we'll, we'll talk about the, the, like, the scene that they objected to uh, <laughs> later on. So I didn't actually see gremlins, I think, until I was probably in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, loved it immediately. Um, and love it to this day. Um, my husband, Ian, is a huge fan of gremlins. And we have tons of them. Like he collects the NECA figures and we did a shoot for record Saturday. We actually played this uh, mini album on record Saturday and set up a whole sort of tableau of the gremlins slowly taking over record Saturday. Like it starts with just me and gizmo. We have a couple plush gizmos that we've collected over the years. Um, And then, you know, of course they're eating chicken wings and, they're dunking gizmo underwater and by the end of the the shoot uh the end of the record i'm tied up and the gremlins have taken over my turntable <laughs> that's awesome um, <laughs> we managed to find one of the gremlins he has and mock it up like donald fagan's the nightfly amazing it, like and amazing it's, i'm like that and i looked at it, i was like that gremlin looks like donald fagan <laughs> You know, while I think my parents were right not to show it to me, when I did finally see it, I absolutely loved it. And I, too, make gremlin noises. Um, If I'm making something particularly delicious, um, you know, sometimes I'll be stirring it and I'll be like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> our, our favorite was always, like, when it was pizza day at the at the uh, campus cafeteria, we would always just, like, crowd around the pizza and just go, mm, pizza. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay, so I'm glad I'm not the only one. Like, I'm not, I'm not the no. only, like, gremlin weirdo who just makes gremlin noises all the time. Oh, no, yeah. And I do gizmo baby voice a lot oh. around the house. <laughs> baby. See, we, we, we really could just spend an entire hour talking about this and not even about the movie. Because it's just, it, grim, like, the gremlins, like, I guess as, as an idea, as a concept, is, is so much fun. Like, yeah, mm. collecting the gremlin figures and just, like, the idea of the gremlins as these little uh, hell-raising monsters is just, it exists outside of the concept of a, any movie, I think. Yeah. The cultural impact of gremlins, because from gremlins spawned a sort of cottage industry of similar movies. You had munchies, you had critters, you had hobgoblins, which we've talked about. Mm, yeah, on. ghoulies, yeah. Yeah, so there, there was other movies that took from this. And ran with it to varying degrees of success. Absolutely, yeah. So, and and it also it it proved that you didn't have to work for Jim Henson to do really cool puppet stuff in Hollywood. To do really groundbreaking, yeah, puppet work. Most of the charm of Gremlins is just how fully they commit to having as many Gremlin puppets in the frame at any one time as humanly possible. <laughs> Yes, and they each have their own individual personalities mm-hmm. yeah. and their own distinct movement and look and costume and feel. And the one of the things that I think is most frustrating about Gremlins is the way you feel about Gizmo, knowing that like he can't be real. Like you can't have a Gizmo and take him home. He's not real. It's not like when you see an adorable kitten. Yeah. And you can go to the animal yeah. shelter and get a kitten. Like you can never have a mogwai; they're not real. And that there's like a pain that comes with that. You're like, I want to hold that thing. But at the same time, you know, like they are gonna sell you a plush gizmo at any price, and you will buy it. It's not the same. No, no. Gremlins is still hugely popular today because I don't know if you're aware of there's a, a new a game out on consoles called Multiverses basically warner brothers version of smash brothers and of course stripe is is one of the playable characters yeah they still uh spirit halloween leans really heavily into the gremlins uh Mm -hmm. they have that um that licensing and i have seen a sexy gremlin costume no or sexy gizmo costume no 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 no, yes and it's not bad it's it's just like a little dress with like and like on one hand like that actually looks kind of cozy 
Like if I wore that with tights, that would be fun, but I'm not about to go with sexy gizmo because I'm an adult woman. I am not in a sorority. The, um, the, I don't have to dress like that. The only the only like sexy gremlin you should be dressing up as is the the gremlin that marries Robert Picardo in part two. Greta. Greta, um, yes. <laughs> I don't think that I don't think Gizmo should be a turn on to anybody. You should want to take Gizmo home and feed him chicken wings. Prior to midnight, obvious. Uh, Spirit Halloween also had a sexy Rigby and a sexy Mordecai costume. Why does that not surprise <laughs> me? Now, do we want to talk about the songs that the, that aren't featured on the soundtrack? I genuinely think that like the the title card of, of Gremlins and the song choice is like one of the better needle drops in like all of all of cinema. Okay, fine, we can do it. You know, because like I mean, and we don't have to talk about Darlene Love again because we've said everything that needs to be said. See also Home Alone too. But like the Gremlins title card dropping on uh, Christmas, baby, please come home is just perfect for a movie that you are not going to watch. <laughs> yeah, really. It's sent you for that. And I mean, it's a it's a classic Christmas song. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Christmas, baby, please come home. I mean, again, how do you not? It's Darlene Love. She's like the patron saint of Christmas at the OST party. A hundred percent. But yeah, like it sh- it sets up this traditional Christmas movie as we come over Kingston Falls, which uh, is the same set for Hill Valley. I was about to say, yeah, like yep, a year before the they future. shot Back to the Future. Yep. And then he turns it off. It's on his stereo. Right. Um, and it's one of two needle drops that does that. Mm-hmm. So you're right. That is, it's a very pointed, like, this is not the movie that you think you're watching. You're right. I hadn't thought about that before, but you're absolutely right. <laughs> There's so much. My, my husband and I were actually talking about Gremlins um, while we were driving to uh, visit my dad. And there's like, there's so much to mine from Gremlins. Oh, yeah. Um, there's like, there's a thousand different ways of, of looking at it as a, a film and as a cultural institution and what it is trying to say about small towns and the 80s and like the the coming change but we'll either get into it or we won't i'm not gonna make any promises yeah just i gonna mean see where this night goes exactly because this is oh boy if we, if we make it if we make it past midnight things are gonna get really crazy but yes i just i also want to note before we get off uh talking about christmas baby please come home right is that this song was of course recorded by michael buble why am I not surprised? Is currently gathering power like Vigo the Carpathian. <laughs> what if we unleashed? What have we done? Oh, we, we have to find some way to stop him. <laughs> and like, I don't know if he feeds on Christmas cheer, uh, because I, I don't obviously like don't want to stop that. But like, maybe he feeds on Christmas, like the anger we feel when we hear Michael Bublé butchering Christmas songs with his like flawless mechanical voice <laughs> he's like if an ai recorded christmas songs well part of the reason i brought up uh baby please go home is it is conspicuously absent from the soundtrack yes and i on the one hand i feel like it's an oversight on the other hand i kind of understand in other movies it's right. in goodfellas um but also, as I'm just now thinking about this, Chris Columbus totally steals this move for Adventures in Babysitting because he, he opens that movie the exact same way with, with a very similar song. He does love his uh, Phil Spector girl groups. He really but, does. Yeah. I mean, this song was in Goodfellas. It's in Bad Santa. It's in Christmas with the Cranks. It's in the Perks of Being a Wallflower. Mm-hmm. Gremlins did it first, though. Yeah. And I, I know this song was not like initially a big hit and it took several years for it to sort of catch on. But I wonder when that initial like wave of popularity like took. Was it the mid 80s? Did it take that long? I can look. Because I know not long after this, U2 covered it for a very special Christmas and that kind of launched the their version of the song into the stratosphere for a while. It um, charted on the Billboard holiday chart in uh, at number 99. In 2014. Ooh, that, like that, that's the most recent, I guess. Yeah, that's, it didn't chart on release. Um, It's annually performed, but, um, and in 2010, Rolling Stone ranked it uh first on its list of greatest rock and roll Christmas songs. There you go. Yeah. 
So, but of course, as I said, um, everyone has covered it. Um, you two covered it. Mariah Carey, of course, mm-hmm. covered it. I feel like that's the version I hear the most. Yeah, yeah. I, we again, just a lot like Michael Bublé. We really cannot escape Mariah Carey at this point. Oh, she's the yeah, I God. If they ever duetted, <laughs> it's like the scene in Twister when the two tornadoes converge. Okay, well, let's let's go through the songs that are in the soundtrack because uh, there's a couple of really strange choices here. Yes, and they all appear in the same scene. All of these songs appear in uh, Dory's Tavern. Yes. Across the are, entire film. Uh, um, and if, if you look at the soundtrack, I've got the um, the record version, as I said. The, they're grouped on the A side. Okay. So they're, they're stacked. And they're not stacked in the order they're played, I right. believe. Well, okay, so let, so hit me with that first one. First song we hear is um, Make It Shine by Quarter Flash. And um, this appears when Judge Reinhold is harassing, well, everybody. Let's go to a clip. wondering about this one and i did a little research and quarter flash previously appeared on the fast times at ridgemont high soundtrack which oh, stars wow. judge reinhold and phoebe cates oh my god yeah small world so, yeah i uh, so i wonder if that sort of aided in its inclusion um because this track on the soundtrack is kind of baffling a little bit yeah this big bright rock song it's triumphant it feels more vision quest or like it would play at the end like as they emerge in slow motion out of the department store like carrying gizmo and maybe it's on fire behind them and then they kiss because it's got like big olympic torchbearer energy yeah this is like a triumphant like end credit song now that i think yeah. about it yeah not sure that it fits in a movie where a bunch of puppets fuck up a small town no, it really doesn't. It's like, it's such a bizarre inclusion. And for this scene, like, it's just, it's playing in the back um, as a drunken Mr. Futterman, of course, mm-hmm. the late, great Dick Miller, is explaining about gremlins and how they come over and they're in foreign cars and they're in foreign TVs and they come over and fuck things up. Right, because the, the, this is kind of based on... Well, while not, I'm not going to say a real phenomenon, but a, a real sort of urban legend yes. about quote unquote gremlins in the machinery. Mm-hmm. Which there's a couple ways to look at that because it's, it, I mean, it's incredibly xenophobic. It is. But on the other hand, Mr. Futterman is right because gremlins do come and they fuck up their town. Mm-hmm. And there's the real. The one way of looking at gremlins is that foreign invaders are coming to ruin your perfectly lily white town. Well, I mean, what what movie do Billy and Gizmo watch it during the, in the middle of the movie? It's Invasion, Invasion. of the Body Snatchers. Yes. It's, it's, it's that exact same metaphor, just sort of uh, transplanted into like the Reagan 80s. On the other hand, the sort of central thesis of gremlins is that white people don't listen and they fuck everything up. Yeah. Yeah. Because they were told, you know, they were, they were given this gift of nature or they, well, they first, I guess it's white people and capitalism. Yeah. Because when, 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 uh, Rand Peltzer is denied it, he just buys off the kid and takes it anyway. He buys this, this creature um and they it's not that billy doesn't take care of gizmo it's that he doesn't take care of him enough yeah i mean accidents do happen yes he's careless careless. with this great gift that he has been given and as a result just like kills people and destroys lives and destroys this town and their you know beautiful antique movie theater um so there's there are there's two ways to to look at it. There's a sort of xenophobic fear, and 
and uh, you know, when I say Mr. Futterman was right, I don't agree with him, but but he turns he turns from, from out- his perspective that is what happens. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, like Futterman talking about like you know the the gremlins in the plains in World War II, like no, that's that's not really a thing, but. All of a sudden it is, and he thinks, oh, my God, I was right all along. Yes. Um, but, you know, there there is that idea that maybe white people and capitalism can't be trusted. Yeah. like it, Which I, th- I think we're seeing play out. Absolutely we are. It, it's happening all <laughs> over the place. There are gremlins inside of Twitter. <laughs> God, tell me something I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Invasion of the Body Snatchers is is such a pointed like uh, well on the one hand yeah it's a pointed reference to like the, the fear of communism but also it's just like like just the crushing the crushing malaise of like suburbia and this is what this is what kind of post war living is doing to people and Gremlins takes that moves it thirty years out into the future and like it's crushing everything because like the state of Kingston falls, as we meet it in the film, the town is dying. We see a a woman approach Mrs. Deagle who runs the bank. And she says, you know, my husband and I aren't getting paid for two weeks. And she's like, well, we're still going to take your house. She's kind of the wicked witch of Kingston falls. Yeah, really. And so, yeah, capitalism is destroying this town. The rich are getting richer Mm -hmm. and you know, the the poor are really struggling but also that's that's where like the christmas angle comes in because like this is a, a very pointed sort of um not critique but sort of a a, a uh, riff on it's a wonderful life where mrs mrs deagle's like a direct analog to mr potter and how the one one sick uh, you know angry person can basically crush an entire town with their fist because haha i have all the money yeah because of greed and i mean we even see Mrs. Peltzer watching It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's Invasion of the Body Snatchers meets It's a Wonderful Life, which is an amazing pitch for a film. It is. And my my one like complaint with Gremlins is like I wish they would cash that out further in the film. Because once the Gremlins show up, that's pretty much all the movie's about. And Gremlins. Which, you know, is fine, but I don't know. I like thinking about these things. And uh I, you know, there- that's just me. Oh, in Gremlins. Um that the film itself doesn't necessarily explore that leads it to people with podcasts to debate 30 something years the, later. The central metaphor of gremlins is left to it as an exercise to the viewer. Yes. <laughs> I'm sticking with white people and capitalism. Fuck up everything. I, I, I don't disagree. <laughs> or it, even as we talk about creature features, um, kind of goes back to bride of the monster. Mm-hmm. Like he tampered in God's domain. Don't fuck with nature. Right. Yeah. So just don't. Like treat nature with respect or it will fuck up your whole life. Also, a more modern, more Christmas themed, do not buy your children animals for Christmas. No, unless Be- you're prepared to fully take care of them. Pets are a responsibility. They are. So you you would think that Billy would be, res- be responsible. But, you know, again, like we said, accidents happen. Things happen. Gremlins are unpredictable and they will destroy your lives. Because I'm. Um... There's a direct line between Gremlins and Jurassic Park. Gremlins and Jurassic Park are the same film. They kind of are, yeah. Amphrit in God's domain. Rand Peltzer was so preoccupied with whether or not he could buy Gizmo that he didn't stop to think if he should buy Gizmo. As songwriter Nick Lutzko said, you know, we could have had a Gremlin in Jurassic Park. That's true. It's true. Don't say that because they will come up with a new Jurassic Park movie and we do not need any more Chris Pratt. It's bad enough we already summoned Michael Buble, but God, we cannot summon Chris Pratt again. So they should they should totally go the Predator route and do a prequel to Gremlins that's like, you know, Gremlins during the Salem Witch Trials or something. The Secret of the Mogwai on Netflix. I did not, no. Me neither. I didn't give a shit. <laughs> Who cares? The Secret of the Mogwai is that Gizmo is awesome. Of course. You shouldn't get him wet. I do not care about Gizmo's backstory. No. Okay. New pitch. Okay. Gremlins, but Cobra Kai. Oh my God. Let's Cobra Kai some Gremlins. Like Cobra Kai season, what are we up to now? Six? Seven? We just finished five. We just finished. Okay. So Cobra Kai season six, uh, Johnny Lawrence has a new plan to to take down Terry Silver. He buys a Mogwai. Gremlins, but from Stripe's point of view. 
Oh, okay. Wow. Okay. Well, then that then it just becomes a Frankenstein story because Stripe did was Stripe did not ask to be born. Nothing, nothing that happens in Gremlins is Stripe's fault. So this is good. Get get me a meeting with Warner Brothers right now. Joe Dante, I have an idea. So what we're saying is Quarter Flash's uh, Make It Shine is okay. It's a great song, not for this movie. Like, if you heard this on your own, you'd be like, yeah, I could fight a gorilla. Oh, yeah. I could win a boxing match. I could do whatever. I can make my dreams come true. It is not a song for a movie where a bunch of slimy puppets, like, blow up, like, a lady's house. It's not quite Man in Motion from Sandalwood's Fire, but it's close. Might as well be. <laughs> it's the 1984 Man in Motion. Or um, actually, I was getting big, only the young vibes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> meanwhile, at Dory's Tavern. <laughs> that was literally my next note into the next song was Meanwhile at Dory's Tavern. Now, again, you've seen Gremlins. We don't have to walk through the plot for you, but by the time we get to this next song, the Gremlins have begun their reign of terror. They've taken over. They've immediately ter- uh, gone to terrorize Dory's Tavern. And somehow, someway, for some reason, Phoebe Cates is still working there and she's still serving all of them. Uh, she's good at her job, I guess. Yeah. I mean, one's got to eat and drink too. It's Christmas Eve. Make that money. <laughs> Time and a half. Doubt they tip. No, I don't think so. They seem really rude. I, so. Yeah. But like, I. <laughs> The, the song that's playing Stay. the song that's playing over the jukebox during the scene as the gremlins are terrorizing the bar is Peter Gabriel's Out Out baffling song choice because again it's a it's a great song and it's uh you know 1984 and peter gabriel can do whatever he wants right yeah including this seven minute track with nile rogers and what he wanted to do was record a song for the film gremlins sure <laughs> you, you kind of love like, it you it's... are a mad genius it is it, you it, mad it, weird man it it has it has like it has real like Frankenstein's monster energy. Like this is stitched together from so many other elements, but it's kind of amazing in its own right. Each of those elements kind of skitters off and becomes a lot of so. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. You can hear what will become sledgehammer and what will become big time. And like they, they vanish off into their own little world, skittering like cockroaches or gremlins. Um, <laughs> somebody got and- this. Wait, so you're saying somebody got this song wet and now, Peter Gabriel's entire discography is spawning out from it. I love yes. that. Yes. Out Out is the Mogwai, and so is all of the Gremlins. Um, <laughs> you can hear those pop songwriting sensibilities underneath all of these weird, like, animal screams and the sort of, like, drive-time horn section that he's got going on. Mm-hmm. It's got those Genesis prog, like, tinges, especially lyrically. And all of those world music influences... And so it kind of seems like, like, is this really the music that people listen to at Dory's Tavern? Like, is this what they're going to queue up on the jukebox? I wouldn't think so. No, no. It's, it's very weird that he's like, yes, I want to do this for the film Gremlins. And I, it's not that Gremlins was some little tiny unknown film, but it also didn't have this big soundtrack. No. Well, I mean, that, it, you know what it is? It's I want to get my song in the new Spielberg movie. Whatever, whatever it is, be damned. I'm getting that song in there didn't get released as like a single or anything no yeah which is kind of neat because when you find the gremlin soundtrack you have this little peter gabriel single yeah yeah it's it's, this this weird little hidden almost like a lost peter gabriel track it's not lost it's widely available but true you know sort of this this great early peter gabriel track that you might not otherwise hear yeah, and I, I noticed on the uh, the credits on the album that it was the song was produced by Mike Rutherford, and I thought, oh, the Genesis guy. And then, of course, oh, duh, they're both in yeah. Genesis. Yes, <laughs> the the guys from Genesis, like all sort of, they kept producing each other and doing other stuff mm-hmm. together. Like they're kind of a, a tiny group, which I respect. Um, this is one of those songs, as we're saying, it would be better served someplace where there's like a dance scene. 
Yeah, and like with with some a good chunk of like the first part of this movie takes place at a school, and I'm I'm surprised they didn't have a scene where it was like you know the Christmas Eve dance or something and Gremlins break loose or something like that. That would that that would be I guess uh, another bridge too far because like now you're putting now you're putting children like directly in harm's way. <laughs> yes, but hold on though. Eh. New pitch. Okay. Loose, but with Gremlins. So they have to dance fight the gremlins. So Kevin Bacon or Billy Peltzer, I guess, has to has a dance off with Stripe. I'm into that. We're just, again, fountain of great ideas. But also, we know from the next song we're about to cover, the gremlins, some of the gremlins know how to dance. They can break it down. Oh, my God. Yes. I mean, let's just jump straight into it, shall we? Yes. Oh, well, before we get to that, I do want to say I think this soundtrack would have been better served by going with our old friends Oingo Boingo. I agree. That's actually a note coming up that I'm about to address. Yes, but I because I feel like, especially here, because Peter Gabriel has that weirdness, but he doesn't have creature feature weirdness. No. And Oingo Boingo is all about creature feature weirdness. And I think you would have gotten a very similar sound, but one that was a little more grounded in the film itself. Like a little more focused, you, th- you, you think? necessarily has to be like weird science. Right. Like written for the movie, but I think they have enough sort of built-in weirdness that I think an Oingo Boingo track would have fit really, really well here. I, I absolutely agree because like uh, I kind of associate me as someone who doesn't know a lot of Oingo Boingo songs. I kind of associate with sort of like a cartoon sensibility. And this is 100% like a Looney Tunes kind of movie. And I could totally see like gremlins wreaking havoc to an Oingo Boingo song for sure. But we're about to get sort of our main pop song here. <laughs> The magnum opus, if you will, of the Gremlins soundtrack. <laughs> Gremlins Mega Madness by our old friend Michael Sambello. Let's go to oh, a clip. Yes. So many layers to this song. They not only compose this song from, of course, uh, Michael Sambello, who we last heard on the Flashdance soundtrack, but then they built a Flashdance gremlin puppet to dance to it. Yes. Making a Flashdance reference in the middle of their monster movie. Yes. It's amazing. It's wonderful. (laughs) I think the same year. What year did Flashdance come out? I think it was 82, 83 or 84. Yeah, it was not that far off. And Flash Dance came out in 1983. Flash Dance was a year old, and they thought we have to we have to put a puppet in leg warmers. Or you know, you know what probably happened was they're making Gremlins, and they like took a break one day to go see Flash Dance, and came back and said, "We gotta we gotta make a reference. We gotta do something with that." Track around this. We're gonna put a dancing Gremlin in leg warmers and have him break dancing and everything. It'll be great. Yes, two. Michael Sambello tune. What a weird focal point. It's so strange. That is what Spielberg money can do for you. Absolutely. But also, like, if if that theory is true, if they, like, went out and saw Flashdance and said, we got to build a, a scene around this, like, for the movie and the production to, like, veer off into, like, a, some other direction all of a sudden, like, that's pure, like, gremlins like ethos right there like just do whatever you think is funny because you know what it's energy chaos reigns yes <laughs> it's great and because when you listen to the song it's parody but it isn't because it's, michael sambello plays it so straight even though it opens with gremlins sort of chittering and chattering it is it's like a weird al style parody of an oingo boingo song because <laughs> it's it it sounds like a song you'd hear on the radio like it the yeah. word gremlin isn't mentioned, no. but it's about dancing. It's got all these big synthy pulses and these really overheated lyrics, mm-hmm. like a heart attack urgency. And it's, so it's simultaneously a parody of maniac and it isn't. And that's how good Michael Sampello is. It is. Yeah. Frantic sort of eighties, like alley behind the club sound. It goes into a blistering guitar solo and the mega mega, it kind of styles like a, what they call a baby scratch Mm -hmm. on in dj terms just like 
<laughs> I love that. Like it's like you said, it's like a Weird Al par- style parody, but it's the guy. It's it's yeah, he's doing it to himself. Yeah. Yes. And it's like he like, understood the assignment. Yes, and I love that. That it, it embodies all of Gremlins, like right there. Mm-hmm. And we could sit there, we can dissect, um, you know, all the implications of the film, of the setting, of what it is trying to say. But at its core, Gremlins is about chaos and mm-hmm. being mischievous. And you can make the argument that the Gremlins, like Batman, never kill anyone. They lead to destruction, but they never outright kill anyone. Right. And like they are just there to to launch chaos. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, and like if anything else, like the Gremlins are such a perfect avenue for just creative chaos. Like you can do anything with the Gremlins. You can make any kind of joke with them and it's always going to be funny. And they take that in so many different directions in this movie. Like in that one uh in that one bar scene alone, like you've got the You've got the uh, flash dance parody. You've got like the gremlins sitting around a table playing poker, and you know the one. And one of the the pulls... like what the lady gremlin kind of looks like E.T. A little bit, yeah, in the same outfit, in that exact same outfit. And you got like you know, uh, the, the you've got a, a scene where a gremlin like puts on a hand puppet and is like puppeting to another gremlin, and it's like beatnik gremlin who beatnik looks gremlin. an awful lot like Donald Fagan. Like let's not. It, Donald Fagan looks like a gremlin, so it's, we're clear. It's. <laughs> It's just jokes upon jokes upon jokes. It's like you can tell they're just having too much fun making this movie. They're just like, let's make as many weird gremlins as we can. Right. And like up to the point so where. So many gremlins. It, it, you go back to you know the, how this began. And you, you thought, oh, you thought you were going to be in some kind of a weird Christmas movie. No, absolutely not. This is all about the gremlins. Just and like in some ways, like it sort of loses the plot at that point. You're right. Like, you're sort of at, the, at that point, just like looking at all the gremlins. And you're like, oh yeah, they're bad, and I guess we should get rid of them. But hey, that one's a beatnik. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those, are, those ones are playing poker. And but it, but then you know, you you hate the gremlins. They're wreaking havoc all over town. They kill Mrs. Deagle. Eh. Nothing of value was lost. And nothing of value was lost. But then, like they disappear, and everything goes quiet. And they discover that all the gremlins are at the movie theater. One of my favorite lines in the movie is like, they're watching Snow White and they love it. <laughs> and they're just all like enraptured by Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Singing along. They're singing along to it. And it's to fill that theater. Yeah, it's it's really impressive. And every and again, every one of them is doing something different. Every one of them has like a different kind of personality a little bit. Stripe is still there doing his thing. One that seems to be having the least fun, but it, you know, the mantle of being a leader gremlin is upon him. Right. I mean, you can't just, you can't fart around all the time. I mean, the only reason he lives is because he was out looking for snacks. (laughs) So we think about that when you go see Avatar and you're like, oh, I shouldn't get up to pee. This movie's three hours long. Going out for snacks could save your life. That's right. If gremlins decide to Invade the theater and Billy Peltzer has to blow it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's really only, well, there's there's two more songs we could talk about tonight. There's another Christmas song that, like, oh, again, a pretty good Neil drop as far as those go here. Where um, the first real gremlin attack happens at the Peltzer home. Yes. And Billy's mom is inundated with gremlins all over the house. But the first thing she hears is uh, the gremlins put on Johnny Mathis's Do You Hear What I Hear? How to work a turntable because uh, it's it's on vinyl. It's a literal needle drop because she has to then go and take the record off. Um, and that's well. Let's go to a clip first. Said the night wind to the little lamb. Do you see what I see? Way up in the sky, little lamb. It's Christmas music as fully existing in the world, not merely on the soundtrack, but that they interact with right. in both times, that they interrupt Christmas. Mm-hmm. They interrupt our traditional Christmas music to fight monsters. Is It's a nice little cue to the audience. Yeah, it's, it's like, oh, just a reminder, this is this is Christmas Eve. As we're doing this. And it's being interrupted. 
I, it's hard not to like this song. It's it's such a nice, pure version. It is. And, and uh, we talked about Johnny Mathis on uh, Home Alone 2, where um, his version of It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year, we didn't realize was that recent of a song, but it was. It was, you know, yeah. the mid to late 80s that he released that, and it became huge. And then his came, okay, his came out in 1969. So not long after the original version, but still... It, 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 it's, at that point, people had started covering it like they do a lot of Christmas songs. But I, th- I think the origin of this song is, is probably more fascinating to me than the song itself. Yeah. Because, you know, it, it came out in October 1962. Uh, and what else happened in October 1962? The Cuban Missile Crisis. Oh, shit. The song is, yeah. the song is about the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yes. If not directly, it's I mean, it was described as sort of a, a cry for peace during a time of crisis that's um, fucking dark but because also then you think of like air raid sirens and yeah, like do you, do you hear what i hear do, yeah, fa- do you, fucking air raid siren do you see what i see a star a star uh i don't know about that and i think that's a nuclear warhead um uh, that is dark <laughs> as shit man yeah <laughs> that's like 99 love balloons shit it is it really is just like like as we talk about like the kind of cold war paranoia that hangs over invasion of the body snatchers and thus gremlins. Yeah. It's like Reagan was kicking that back into high gear at the time. That's incredible. And the way they use it in the movie is also, is also fun just because you know, the, you get that, uh, that line, you know, do you hear what I hear? And and mom's like, where the hell, what the hell is all this chittering and chattering going on around the house? Gremlins noises. But this scene in the, in the kitchen where she, you know, puts one gremlin in the KitchenAid and another in the microwave. This was the reason I was not allowed to see this film. Mm. That even even yesterday like that microwave scene just oh god. It's gross. It's really gross. It's genuinely upsetting. Yeah. Um and also when they throw one into the fire. Mhm. Yeah. It's still kind of talking. Now the original of this uh had the gremlins killing the mom and oh, throwing wow. her head down the stairs. Good god. So the original version was much darker, but um, I think I I agree with, you know, letting her live. Yeah. Not just because it doesn't take the film in such a dark direction, but I think it also allows us to still like the gremlins. We know they're Mm -hmm. bad, but they're fun to watch. And I think if they had actually murdered someone... Because they do murder Mrs. Deagle. Right. But that's fine because she sucks. But if they murdered Mrs. Pelter, I don't think we'd feel as good. Now, they do crash um, his Kentucky, uh, Mr. Futterman's Kentucky Harvester. That's true, into the house. Yes. And that goes back. He's talking about it's American made. It'll never... um, It'll never break down foreign cars. They have gremlins in them. But... Obviously, his American-made car also has, or you know, <laughs> yeah, also uh, has gremlins in it, so, so yeah. to speak. So uh, there goes that theory on Mr. Futterman. We find out in Gremlins Two, of course, that the Futtermans lived. <laughs> Though I don't know why, because I'm not sure what they're doing in that movie. I think they're just a, like it, it. It softens the. It, it's original. to get Dick Miller in the movie, which I'm fine with. <laughs> yeah, it's always good to have Dick Miller. In a movie, but the other thing about the, about the mom is like I'm glad they didn't kill her because like they're still kind of maintaining this illusion that this is a Christmas movie, and if you want to really keep the audience on your side, you gotta you gotta protect that family unit, you know. It's another sort of Reagan era touch, like mm-hmm. the family unit, the exactly. nuclear family, and also having her because we we only really see her in the kitchen. That's true, but like she, the homemaker wife, she makes like she makes use of it all because she is she destroys those gremlins. I mean, she she's stabs the hell out of one of them, fucking up gremlins right and left. She's got a higher. Um, well, no, I won't say she has a higher kill count, but never mind. Yeah, well, of direct of direct hits, yeah, she does. Yeah, at so, least three, four, maybe. Yeah, because um, yeah, because Stripe escapes that that attack. But um, Billy blows up the theater, but he doesn't like he doesn't look them in the eye and throw them in the microwave. That's true. So she's cold blooded. <laughs> yeah. um, and then Gizmo is the one that kills Stripe. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> Billy, 
you gotta step up your game, son. Yeah, let's go, bro. <laughs> God. You know who else has murdered some gremlins? My mom. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Thank you. <laughs> uh, there's one more uh, track that I want to highlight tonight because it, it's to me it's the most important track on the soundtrack, and that's the Gremlins rag. Of course, Jerry Goldsmith's score is fantastic, but the Gremlins rag itself, the main theme, if you will, is just so it's such a perfect earworm. Yes, let's go to a clip. <laughs> oh boy. So when I got my first smartphone and I found out you could put any MP3 you wanted as a ringtone, I decided I would put the Gremlins rag on it as my ringtone. And let me tell you, there is nothing in this world more stressful than getting a phone call and suddenly hearing the Gremlins theme. (laughs) That lasted all of about a week. (laughs) (laughs) Should make it mine because I never call you. Oh, so that that would also be funny. That one time I know I'm in trouble. I would only call you for awesome stuff. Oh, okay. But then it wouldn't be like your mom calling to be like, gremlins are attacking your father. <laughs> You'd probably be like, oh, this is Libby calling to tell me something dumb. <laughs> uh, she wants to yell regular show jokes at, over the phone to me. That's okay. It's kind of shit I pulled. <laughs> um, so I know for a fact from experience that if you put the gremlins rag on at a Halloween party, People will absolutely lose their shit. Oh, my God. And start hopping. <laughs> well, because how and else? at a party. Like, you put the ground. People start hopping. Well, how else do you dance to the Gremlins rag? It's very, yeah, it's weird. Because, like, I wouldn't expect people to dance. But, because I, I had put it on um, a mix I made. I guess for the first Halloween party I threw back in 2002. At Binghamton. And... I think I just thrown it on as sort of like hangout music because I had my dance tracks and mm-hmm. I had my hangout music and people started hopping. <laughs> this. That's awesome. I played it on every, at every Halloween since. Um, it's kind of awesome. Try it at a, at a party sometime. I'll have, to, I'll have to keep that in mind because like I'm always that's one of those movie themes where like I'm always curious to like if you just blared that at people what would they do so that's like yeah perfect party music bonkers piece of music it's it's so shrill and just like in, intrusive and i know you know everybody talks about the jaws theme uh or the star wars main theme all of these like big iconic themes but we forget the gremlins theme because the instant you hear it you know you know exactly what it is and you're you're vaguely like your, your heart rate starts to increase and you're like, should I be worried right now? Yes, but also, it's, that, it's so much fun. Chaos. It's got that chorus of horrible chittering and these kind of end of the world drums going on. Mm-hmm. But it's it, it's somehow simultaneously claustrophobic and chaotic. Yeah. It, it, and this is what I imagine having a toddler is like. Oh, Lord, yes. See, that's maybe, maybe there's something to that. Like, maybe Gremlins has maybe there should be like some kind of gremlins thing that's like four kids because it's just a, per- a perfect analog i don't know uh, but yeah the the gremlins rag i i think it works way better in the second movie because like anytime you hear that theme start to kick in and you see like you know gremlins crash through a wall or something you just know oh man shit's about to go down yeah like just, the, the best movie ever is about to get better physical note the key change yes, at the end yes, somehow yes. feels threatening Yes. I can't explain it. Like, I don't have the, the musical background to explain exactly why the key change in the Gremlins theme sounds so goddamn threatening. Yeah, but it feels like a personal attack. There, there's like a whole, that's a whole conversation you could have about like key changes in popular songs. But like that one is in, in, in particular, like, it's, it's like a heart attack. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, what is happening to me? Oh, no, it's still <laughs> happening. Yes, um, but you bring up a good point because you bring up Gremlins too. Yeah, which, as we said, doesn't have a soundtrack uh, 
unfortunately. I don't even know what songs are in Gremlins 2, except, of course, for the iconic rendition of New York, New York near the end. Okay, so Gremlins 2, I, I wish there was a soundtrack album to this because I would love to like, do a full episode on this. But, like, you've got, you know, uh, there's a Fats Domino song. There's two Jeff Beck songs. There's Slayer's Angel of Death is in this movie. Of course. New York, New York, performed by Tony Randall, who's the voice of the brain gremlin, who's just, just yes. the best. Tony Randall, of course, from our Down With Love episode. Yeah, he yeah. That. But, I mean, like, Thompson Twins are in it. Damn Yankees. Uh, Private Life, Gordon Lightfoot, Surprise You're Dead by Faith No More is in this movie. And it's just, we missed an opportunity to be able to talk about Faith No More and Gremlins in the same episode. But I guess I just did that. So good for us. We as a society weren't ready for the soundtrack to Gremlins 2. We don't deserve it. No, absolutely not. um, I remember Gremlins 2 coming out. Um, and I think I had uh, a Gremlins 2 lunchbox. And I think that was kind of when I started getting interested in Gremlins, like seeing, because I was only a year old when Gremlins came out. Mm -hmm. So it must have been the merchandising around Gremlins 2 that interested me in Gremlins. Um, But of course, my parents would have seen Gremlins and were like, absolutely not. Um, Yeah, see, like, I think I was a little too young when Gremlins 2 came out. I didn't even even register to me, but then... uh, I wasn't really familiar with the second one until, you know, again, well into high school when I realized, oh, there's there's a second one and there's more Gremlins. Let's watch this. Yes. And Gremlins so. 2 is a special beast because it shouldn't exist. But they gave Joe Dante basically a blank check to do whatever he wanted and he ran with it. And it's genuinely one of the best movies ever made. <laughs> It's like it's like the Gremlins theme, but a whole movie. Yeah, because it's it's bonkers. It just goes completely nuts. Um, you finally get a woman Gremlin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they they made a special edition Monster High doll of Greta Gremlin. And if I had like Elon Musk money, hell, if I had like Rick Sloan money, I would track that thing down. <laughs> It's beautiful. It's like you can find it. It's very rare, but it's, you know, mm-hmm. I want it. Maybe if I sell a book, I'll treat myself and buy myself the Greta Gremlin. There you go. Dolly. But yeah, um, like the, like I said before, the, the main problem with Gremlins 2 is that it's not a Christmas movie, which is a shame because like I would love to do two whole podcasts about it. Yes. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know what more there is to say about Gremlins or Gremlins 2. Do you know what movie uh, Gremlins to opened against it opened june 15th 1990 that date should sound familiar to you oh um no what is it against dick tracy no yep <laughs> oh my god <laughs> oh man see that's a hell of a double feature right there yes in that one is terrible and one is gremlins too <laughs> two movies that hate the thing that they're about <laughs> And Gremlins 2 doesn't have any gross jokes about Madonna's vagina. You know, I had to stop and think because I was sure they made some Madonna joke in there at some point. Sure they do. But, but not as bad just, as Dick Tracy. You're right. Nope. And uh, it just has Phoebe Cates being perfect and beautiful. I always thought that would be a fun uh, costume for Halloween. Because since we have a little gizmo, if Ian goes Billy, me go as um, Kate with her, like the skyscraper hat. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And carry around gizmo. And of course, you know, you can't talk about Gremlins 2 without talking about the fact that, like, like Back to the Future 2, they parodied the former president well before anybody thought that was even a thing you could do. Yes, they did. And it's so, perfect. It's Gremlins. I, I, the thing was, so when I was watching Gremlins uh, for this, and because it's December, we were going to watch Gremlins anyway. Right. Um, I just got a, a head start. Um. It made me immediately want to watch Gremlins too. Mm-hmm. I was like, "No, you have other things you you have to be doing right now." Yeah, like I, if I hadn't watched Gremlins two probably a couple of weeks ago, I would definitely watch it tonight. Living your best life. I, yeah, sure. <laughs> Watching Gremlins two at random. <laughs> yeah, just like I'm, and that's again the great thing about being an adult. You can put on Gremlins two whenever you want. Yeah, it's about the only good thing about being an adult. You know what the best the other the other great thing about Gremlins 2 is? There's Everything? there's not a Gremlins 3 to ruin it. You can't. You can't make a better Gremlins movie than already exists. 
Exactly. Because I don't want Gizmo to have a backstory. I don't, I don't, I don't want anything more out of Gremlins. Yeah, like, what I, we have is perfect. Well, like I, I know a third Gremlins movie, like you're going to get CGI Gremlins, and nobody needs that. Like that's not no. that's that ruins what was fun about Gremlins in the first place. Yes. Um, and I'd love to know where the Gremlins are. Like we talked about, when we talked about dinosaurs. Um, you know those puppets have right unfortunately fallen into disrepair. Although, um, Ian. Uh, has a friend who is a restorer of these things and I guess had been working on a few of them. I want to say she might have been working on Greta. Okay. But she was in the process of restoring a handful of gremlins. Mm. So so they are still out there. See, but I'm I'm looking on eBay right now and there are tons of like replica prop gremlins. Yes. But I can't I don't see any originals on um, here. But yeah, somewhere there is a fucking warehouse that is fucking full of gremlins. Like, I don't even know how many total gremlins there are. Like, not counting, obviously, like, duplicates of Gizmo and Stripe and Mohawk right. and Brain Gremlin. But, like, how many actual individual gremlins that were only used for, you know, one or two scenes. They're like Muppets, where there are just so many. They would make one for one scene. I think I had read that in the first movie, they really didn't take care of them the way they should have. So a lot of those don't exist anymore. But for the second one, they just plain made so many that, yeah, a lot of the se- a lot of the ones for the sequel are still hanging around somewhere. Yeah. Um, I know um, Rick Sloan mm-hmm. still has a lot of the Hobgoblins puppets. Oh, nice. Um, and by a lot of I think there's only like six of them. But um, he he had them. Uh, I believe in some correspondence he, that he and I had. He mentioned that he had a bunch of them in his garage. Like, you should Which, probably take better care of those, buddy. Yeah, for real. Which, that reminds me, we should have opened this episode by saying Gremlins is apparently the movie that they were making on the soundstage at, in Hobgoblins because that's why they were keeping the Hobgoblins locked up. <laughs> if that's the theory we were running with. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Oh, um, they should repress the Gremlin soundtrack. Um, yes. and they should repress the Hobgoblin soundtrack. That's, that's the hill I'm gonna die on. hundred uh, percent agree. Yeah, they have reissued the Gremlin soundtrack on CD and on expanded. Um, but it's always just the score. Right, and I, that, uh, that's probably got something to do with you know rights issues for the other songs and things like of course, that. Of course, Peter Gabriel does not probably care too much about licensing his one Gremlins track. Uh, in, in the year of our Lord, 2022. <laughs> He's got better stuff to worry about. Just want to see him in concert, and then he just busts this one out. <laughs> so one one other thing that I want to mention before we, we wrap up tonight, uh, there were other Gremlins uh, vinyl records released along with this movie that, that weren't the soundtrack. Uh, storybook sort of vinyl records. Uh, I I keep coming across these at the at the the used bookstore, and I never wind up buying them because I always think, what am I going to do with these? But it's you know, uh, Gizmo and the Gremlins. It's little storybooks that uh, I I assume you put the record on, and it tells you the story about Gizmo and whatever he's doing. Again, this was I mean, Gremlins is a dark movie, and it's not for children. But they really drove home the children's marketing. There was a breakfast cereal, yeah, there was yeah, little, like record tie-in books with the second like, with the second one there was a video game yeah mm-hmm. so they, no. they were really invested in like selling this movie to kids at the same time as you know uh the mpaa was invested in trying to keep this movie from kids <laughs> like i this is one of those movies that i feel like it explains why our generation is a little off yeah, because, Slightly, because we just like watched Gremlins when we were kids. Because all of us saw Gremlins either too much or too often as children. And it's funny because I was my friend Matthew's ten years older than me, and he says like the millennial Gen X divide is whether you saw Gremlins in theaters or had like your parents kept you for watching it until you were a little older. Because he just remembers being like dropped off for a birthday party, like and going to see it. Mm-hmm. As you know, he was, I guess, at that point, uh, 11. 
Just wow. be told, like, yeah, go see Gremlins. <laughs> like, sure. And, like, I didn't see it until I was well into my teens, as I said, because my parents were, like, too violent for you. Mm-hmm. So, like, being protected versus being, like, let loose in the wild. So. It's, it's the difference between ha- having, a, having, having a gizmo and having a stripe. <laughs> yeah, that. Gremlins is the dividing line between millennials and Gen X. Yep. <laughs> well, uh, anything else we need to say about Gremlins before we go? No, I think we've covered it. Oh, yeah. Who doesn't love Gremlins? If you don't love Gremlins, what's wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> it's truly it's a movie that unites us all. Mm. So what are <sighs> we talking about for our last episode of 2022? Oh, my God. I can't believe the last episode's already here. I know. Uh, the year's gone by so fast. But uh, the next time on the show, we are going to uh, sort of break from conventional wisdom of what we do on the show we're gonna do a 2022 wrap-up where we discuss some of the uh the songs that and uh, soundtracks that we've discovered over the year which ones we like the most maybe which ones we like the least we'll take stock of of the year that was and yes ost party year in review exactly thank you uh so uh libby where can our listeners find you on the internet find me on twitter as long as it's still around, at Libby Cudmore. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at record underscore Saturday, or you can listen to me over on the Misbehaven podcast. We are in season two of The Righteous Gemstones. Joe, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me online at uh, Cordial Wombat on Twitter and the same on Instagram, or you can listen to me yell about Christmas movies all year long on the Christmas Creeps podcast at Christmas Creeps on Twitter. Uh, we're on a bit of a holiday hiatus right now, but I'm sure we'll be back before you know it. And if you want to send us anything at all, uh, you can email us at ostpartypod at gmail.com, or you can tweet at us for the time being at ostparty on Twitter. So. From all of us at the OST Party, happy holidays. Happy holidays, yeah. Watch out for those gremlins out there, everybody. Yes, indeed. Stay safe. Uh, So I've been Joseph Wade. And Libby Cudmore. Buy that ticket. Take the ride. Take the ride.